Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey, everyone. This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 33 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Johnny FD, back here with Sam Marks. Hey, guys. And Johnny, Feliz Navidad. <laughs> Merry Christmas, buddy. Still in Mexico? I'm still in Mexico. Three more days in Playa del Carmen and then back to Florida for the holidays. Okay. So Merry Christmas to everyone listening to this. If you guys are listening live, uh, I know a lot of people are catching up on older episodes. So Happy New Year to you guys. Uh, so this week, uh, we're going to have on Brett Owens, who's a contributing writer, writer for Forbes.com. And he writes a ton about dividend stocks as well as REITs, which is today's topic. Yeah, and he's also the chief investment strategist for Contrarian Outlook. And I've been reading a bunch of their stuff in the last couple months. Really, really good stuff and just highlights uh, the topics that Johnny just went over. And he's also he's in a lot of places. He's in uh, CNBC. He's often on CNBC Asia doing interviews and stuff. He's He seems like a really cool guy, so I'm, I'm pumped up to get him on the show. Yeah, uh, super smart guy. He went to Cornell, which is Ivy League. Uh, he you know worked in corporate America, and he's. I, I think he's just going to be a good guest to talk about REITs, which is something that we've been wanting to talk about for a while. I, I know we've touched on it in a few episodes, but this is going to be the first episode where we're just going to deep dive straight into the REIT world. Yeah, I think we're kind of scratching our own itch in a sense because I think we've both invested in REITs. And it was one of the first asset classes that really kind of piqued our interest in the investment world. But like you said, we've not done anything that's dedicated on a lot of the fundamentals, a lot of the basics, some of the own REITs that we own and why why they're doing some of the things that they're doing. So this is awesome. The article that he wrote, which made us want him to get, on, get him on the show so bad, was this article that was in Forbes. It was called Three Recession Proof REITs That You Should Buy Today. And it's a fantastic article. Anyone at any level of investment or business can read it and, and get a basic understanding for for why he has picked and is recommending these rereads. So I definitely recommend it. And a lot of people listening to this podcast are also thinking, you know, a lot of people went through the 2008 crisis, maybe even the 2001. And people are always thinking, when's the next crash coming? When's the next recession coming? And they want to build like you and I, bulletproof strat- uh, strategies and investment portfolios. So this is a really good article for anyone to listen to, and we're going to dive into it on this episode. Yeah, so we're going to have a link to this article. Uh, so if you want to go to investlikeaboss.com and click on episode 33, we'll have it in the show notes. Uh, and I, I don't think you actually need to read it before you listen to the episode, because um, I'm sure Sam will break everything down. But if you wanted to go over it, uh, either before or after, it'll be there. So without further ado, let's have on Brett Owens. Everybody, welcome back. Brett, great to have you on the show, man. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So to give the listeners a little bit of background, Brett and I were actually supposed to record last week, but I somehow jarred my audio technic, technic uh, mic on the way down to Mexico. So podcasting on the road certainly has its challenges, but Brett was good enough to reschedule. Yeah, you sound good now. Sound Sweet. good with the new mic. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit stressful. I was in like a co-working space and I had the mic set up and I was trying to figure out, well, if I can't use the mic, I'm going to have to use just my computer because I didn't have my my uh, backup headset. And then there was a bad echo and I'm like, well, I can't go out to the common room because everyone's talking. So 
first challenge with podcasting, but um, we're back on now. So, Brett, where are you? You're out in the uh, Pacific time. You're in California? That's right. Yeah, Sacramento, California. Beautiful, man. We're looking at uh, spending some time out in Tahoe in the next few months. I'm really looking, looking forward to that. It's supposed to be beautiful. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you'll have a lot out here. Uh, I mean, it's good season for Tahoe because you get all the snow, and there's been there's been a lot of snow up there already. So you'll be in good shape. There's wine not too far down the hill if you if you feel like venturing down yeah. at all. But that should be a good trip. Sacramento is a pretty good location. You're able to take a lot of just kind of one two hour day trips. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we got uh, San Francisco's hour and a half away. Tahoe is an hour and a half to two hours, depending on where you're heading. And then you got a lot of wine either up towards Tahoe or there's Sonoma and Napa. So that's all within hour, hour and a half. Uh, and then you get out to the coast, hour and a half, two hours as well. So yeah, pretty well situated. It used to, the, the joke used to be that it was close to everything and, uh, but there was nothing to do in Sacramento. Yeah. But that's actually, that's actually changed a lot over the last, actually since I moved here over the last five, not, not that there's a, uh, you know, coincidental, but, uh, over the last five or 10 years, it's, uh, there's been, uh, people moving in from the Bay Area and stuff and there's been a lot of uh, new development here right. uh, as well but yeah it is uh, well situated in uh, northern california nice makes all sense so dude i'm glad to have you on the, the episode this has been a long time coming so we, we talk about reits a lot on the show but we've never actually done kind of a full episode on reits how they work some of the new things that are happening with them so when we saw your audio or your your, uh, your article in forbes we're like dude we got to get this guy on the show and it all worked out. Here we are. I've read that article a few times and taken a look at it definitely with consideration to my holdings and uh, reviewing some more like fundamentals of REITs and stuff. So just for a lot of the listeners, we talk about REITs. A lot of people out there still don't understand how they fully work. You cool talking about just some of the fundamentals of REITs uh, so listeners can get a better basis for the discussion as we open up this episode. Sure. Yeah. So REIT is uh, the slang term. So real estate investment trust. So REIT is where we get the the REIT term from. Uh, they popped out. I think it was the late sixties. There. So what they are is they're basically their own tax advantaged entity that is is usually focused on real estate, as as their name said. Usually, but not. Uh, usually, but not always. So there's a few nuances in. But it's basically a structure where they can avoid basically paying taxes uh, as long as they dish out most of their net income to shareholders. So the result is that uh, that's why real estate is well set up because what they do is they collect the rent, they run the place, and then they kind of cut dividend checks to shareholders. So uh, they're popular because they tend to pay out higher dividends than uh, your, your your average stock, uh, for example, today the S&P 500 pays about 2.1% yield. The VNQ REIT index is about double that or a little double that, over 4%. So REITs are popular because they, they pay those higher yields. Um, they're basically, uh, you know, cash is very cash-based because they're, they're, they're cash in and then they're cash back out to uh, shareholders. Gotcha. Now, with most REITs, do they... Just secure leases with the with like money they borrow from banks, or do they actually acquire the physical property? Some acquire and some even build. So you'll see the whole spectrum. So for example, they're in the build category. Um, there's actually private. There's two private prison providers mm -hmm. that. Uh, largely will uh, build, they'll acquire, but they'll also build their own prisons. And those are there for uh, 75 or more years. And then they lease those out over the, over the whole duration. Um, some acquire. So there's uh, lodging, 
reads. So, for example, when you're up in uh, Tahoe, you're probably renting a cabin, but let's say you're mm-hmm. on business travel um, and you stay at a place like a, like a residence in by Marriott. Marriott probably doesn't own that place. That could be the, the specific Marriott you're staying in could very well be owned by a REIT. Mm-hmm. And what that REIT is doing is they acquired the property and they're leasing it out to, to an operator. So they're making the money off the room. So there are some REITs that will play in, the, in that range. Like they might look at certain locations and say, hey, Silicon Valley is really hot right now. Southern California is hot. Mm-hmm. Boston's hot. We're going to try to acquire lodging in those places. Um, and then we're just going to kind of do the acquisition of those. And then you also see REITs in the um, self-storage is another popular area. So almost any, any place in the country you drive these days, you see the self-storage facilities all over the place. Uh, most of those are owned by – many of those are owned by REITs. And a lot of those are acquired. It's, it's cheaper to acquire than the build. So a lot of these uh, self-storage guys are looking to acquire more existing self-storage spaces. So that's kind of the, uh, so you can see, you can see build and acquire. Obviously mm-hmm. those that acquire have a lower, uh, it's not as capital intensive as building. So they can kind of get in and into deals uh, more, more cheaply. Yeah, oh man. And you mentioned prisons, like that's totally off the radar for most people thinking of traditional REITs, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's uh, a, kind of the cool thing about the REIT sector is you, you see a lot of uh, off-the-wall things that you may not connect. A lot of people, uh, if, if they grew up uh, reading or, or got into stock investing, reading somebody like Peter Lynch, and, and he always liked to say, buy what you know and look in the malls and stuff. It might be a little dated advice now that it's hard to, to see everything in 2016 versus mm-hmm. 1990 or whenever when he wrote that. But REITs are kind of that way. Where you could walk into, well, not that you walk into a prison, but you go you know, just uh, places in your everyday life. So, hospitals, for example, there are REITs focused on owning hospitals, uh, nursing homes, there are REITs that focus on, on those types of places. So, there's uh, all basically anything that is commercially stored. If you order something from Amazon, it shows up at your doorstep. Well, that probably came from a distribution center that may have been owned by a REIT. So mm-hmm. REITs own, you know, there are REITs focused on warehouses. So basically everything that uh, uh, has a physical presence in the economy could be owned potentially by a REIT. Gotcha. And for U.S. citizens, REITs are very tax efficient at the company level, so they'll pay out a higher yield. But on an individual level, that's still taxed at like ordinary income. So it's, it's, it's not really tax efficient on an individual level, correct? That's right. Yeah. So there, that's a good point. They are not as tax efficient as regular corporate dividends. So mm-hmm. if you buy Johnson and Johnson, that dividend is still subject to that lower dividend tax rate where read dividends are ordinary income. So if you're thinking about where uh, you want to own your reach, you might consider uh, uh, putting those in an IRA type structure where, where you still have the tax uh, advantage situation. Makes sense. So I was over in Singapore for a few months last year and I got really into REITs. Just, I liked them. They, they're paying out huge yields over there, eight, nine, 10%. And I started thinking like, how risky are these really? Okay. So like a public REIT, you obviously have big market swings up and down, but I looked back into like 2008 and it looked like REITs actually, they weren't, they didn't get in that much trouble. At least the ones that I researched, they were able to maintain at least a good portion of their dividend and very few of them, if any, went bankrupt, but maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't get the full picture, but I was just trying to plan for, you know, another 2008 type of scenario in the future. How risky are these REITs? If you don't have to sell it at the bottom, if the share price gets whacked, um, 
just more in terms of like bankruptcy and r- real real bad issues that you could have almost a total loss. Do you do you see these as risky elements like that? Uh, there can be. I mean, yeah. yeah so, so that it, it can be all over the place. I think th- you've made a good point, and that what you want to look for. And looking at 2008 is a great example because that's kind of a, a very good back test in terms of when everything goes wrong. Uh, how did this specific report uh, perform? Now, it may not have a track record back to 2008, um, but some of them do. Mm-hmm. And the uh, to me, the types of issues that I like are the ones that at least held the dividend steady during 2008 because you're right you, you don't necessarily you can't if you focus on price action all the time you're just going to drive yourself crazy uh, and then it goes for a crash too you may want to be buying more the important thing is is that dividend secure and a lot of these REITs that kept their dividend secure their yields went from six percent uh, pre-crash all the way down to 10 uh, up to 10 11 12 percent because they mm-hmm. kept the dividend steady mm-hmm. and then once they got through that then they started raising that dividend again so that's uh, the time to buy those are the types of REITs that you want to own, but then we're looking at more of that recession-proof angle. So, um, for example, is there a scenario in which 2008 happens and hospitals go out of business? Mm-hmm. Probably not. They're going to they're, they're gonna be fine. Um, but could sea uh, levels retail space so there be strip malls and stuff who are yeah. kind of under pressure already how will they do it in a recession that probably wouldn't be too pretty so it's it's all over this place somebody self-storage would they cut their self-storage facility probably not actually self-storage uh it kind of gets a bump as people downsize right want to get rid of their stuff so going to self-storage so uh yeah good things to think about i i do like your suggestion, uh, that's something that I do a lot, is just looking at how these things have performed over a 10, 15-year, 20-year history uh, and seeing how they've done. And then actually, incidentally, over the last 15 to 20 years, the two top performing sectors within the REIT world have been healthcare and uh, self-storage. They provided the highest returns and then actually also the lowest volatility. So those are kind of the, the energizer bunnies mm-hmm. historically that have kept going while uh, some of the other focuses have been subject to more swings. And just one more question on the fundamental stuff. Do REITs typically pay down the principal of the debt they take on or they only kind of service the interest? Uh, some do. So I think you'll see, uh, and it's a, it, it's sector specific and then it's also REIT specific in terms of what, what they call it their leverage level. So what leverage level they're comfortable with. And we're, mm-hmm. when we talk leverage, we're talking debt as a percentage of their total assets. So across the entire REIT sector, uh, the current average is about 41, 42% uh, leverage levels, which which sounds high, but that's just kind of the business that they're in. Some sectors go higher. So healthcare, uh, you might see leverage levels higher. It kind of depends on the company and you get a feel for it when you follow a company, you invest in them and they say, this is our leverage level or we're reducing our leverage here. So some will pay down uh, those debt levels to get to a certain target level. I would say that's more common is that then once they're into that target level, what they then focus on is growing their cash flow and growing their payout. So there's kind of that life cycle where when mm-hmm. a uh, uh, read is formed early in, in stages or if they have a uh, something bad happens. So they have a kind of a turnaround that they need to kind of get on their feet again. Mm-hmm. What they'll do is they'll they'll first focus on paying down uh, their debt to a, a level that they that they like, and then they'll focus on cash flow growth and then dividend growth from there. Got it. And that takes us to kind of where we are today, which is REITs have been on a wild, and if you're my portfolio, a very depressing year of a big upswing and now a big downswing into the red for most yep. of my most of my REITs. 
what the hell's going on? And that also plays into we have a new president, President uh, elect Trump. Maybe things are moving in a different direction for the future now for, for REITs. What's, uh, what's your perspective on it all? Sure. Yeah. So on a, on a daily basis, if you, if you look at what the 10 year treasury is doing, you'll probably be able to figure out what your REITs are doing on that given day. So then I think that's the source of a lot of your depression, Sam, is that the <laughs> 10 year has been going up. It started before the election, kind of creeping up from, I think it was August lows. And, uh, since Trump got elected, everyone getting uh, excited about him is it, inflation infrastructure driven inflation uh presidency already so you've seen the 10 year go from uh, 1.4% i think uh, above uh 2.4% uh, or so so that's the single number that's the cause of a lot of your headaches in the short term now over the long term it does tend to decouple where the 10 year and reads actually don't have much of a relationship uh over a longer term period which is kind of ironic but on any given day the tenure can be the source of a lot of your headaches. So where, what, what you need to look at then, there's two reasons that, that REITs are selling off when, when longer-term yields uh, rally or even when there's kind of Fed talk that the Fed might raise. The same thing happened last December. Everyone was worried about the Fed raising. REITs got hammered. And then when the Fed actually raised – REITs rallied because that was in the, in the rear view mirror and then people realized that uh, the, the, the Fed funds rate doesn't actually matter too much either to REITs. Quick aside, if you look at that 04 to 06 period, that was the last time the Fed really raised meaningfully. It went from 1% to 5.25%, which would be insane to think about today. Right. Yeah. Uh, REITs outperformed the S&P over that two-year block. So it doesn't hold up over a long period, but people do get worried. They get worried for two reasons. One is that um, there's perceived competition where why would you buy a REIT when I could buy a 10-year that's going to yield something comparable? Mm -hmm. um, unlikely, however, that the 10-year is going to get up into that 6 7 8% range where it's going to give REITs a run for their money. Um, even when we saw it in uh, 06, it was at the tenure was up at five over five percent and reached for fine. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other worry, which is something to look at, is how are your REITs funding their uh, leverage, their debt? So is their debt uh, locked in for a little bit or is it going to tick up on them soon? So that's the fear is that the REIT you're holding uh, may see its 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 debt costs increase, which will end its cheap money party, which then hurts it. Now, people don't really take the time to look into the financials of each one, so they just sell the entire yeah. uh, sector. So that's what you're seeing now is basically everything's getting sold, which actually makes it a great time to kind of look at those individual issues. And a lot of a lot of the reads will be fine with higher rates, but just for each one you own, figure what what's management's plan, what's their certain what's their current debt structure, do they have stuff ticking up anytime soon? or is it low and locked in for a while and then are they are they able to raise the rent as rates increase whereas uh, uh, if rates go up uh, can they pass on those costs uh, to their customers or are they gonna are they gonna get squeezed as they get uh, the, you know their their costs come in and then their revenue kind of stays the same so I bought this one re senior housing properties trust I bought it at 21 it took went on a ride up to about 24 pretty quickly and then dropped off in see, basically just over the course of two months from about 24 down to the mid 17s. And they missed, they missed their earnings and they blamed it all on rising interest. And I'm like, really? Like 25 basis points, 0.25%, the rates increase and, you know, every, your whole earnings shattered. And then this, the stock, the price drops, what, almost 40% from 24 down to 
17 and a half, like just over a, a, a 25 basis points interest raise. That seems like way, way overcorrecting uh, by the market. But it's, it's, you know, it's one of those wild rides that a lot of the REITs have been on this year. It is, yeah, and that's uh, one of my pet peeves with uh, some REITs is is when they I, I don't like it when management makes excuses like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see some, you'll see some where management will just kind of make. I, I would say all REITs are subject to that level of volatility, which is why you want to focus on on the div on where that payout is and where it's going uh, versus what the stock price is doing. I would say any REIT is subject to that type of volatility. Now that said. I don't, and you, you see this. I don't like management teams that are always making excuses for why their last quarter sucked. And you'll see that that will kind of be a recurring theme, I think, with certain uh, companies where management always has an excuse uh, every 90 days about yeah. uh, why their quarter uh, was was terrible. Meanwhile, they'll have competitors who are just kind of doing just fine or outperforming. So that's, I would say, maybe where you want to look. But the the good tip off is uh, a good tip off is just to look at that long term dividend growth. What are they able to do with that dividend? Are they are they just barely hanging on with a static payout, or are they able to consistently raise it um, every year? At least some are even able to raise it every quarter. So to me, that with REITs you can't lie. Uh, mm-hmm. It's all about the the cash and then the cash growth. So if they're boosting that dividend, it shows they're confident. Uh, if they're if they're not regularly raising that dividend, they're barely hanging on. They're making excuses. Then that probably shows that they're they're sweating internally yeah. there too. So these are all things that an investor should be looking at when purchasing a REIT. All things that I didn't look at when purchasing the REIT. You know, I basically looked at this senior housing properties. I looked up what they own. I'm thinking baby boomers are getting older. More people going into retirement. Retirement homes makes sense for the next ten years. But that's just the wrong way to look at it. That's just an emotional trying to think that you're seeing the trends and stuff, but not looking at the actual financials, which is, of course, the most important thing to do, right? Yeah, well, I think that's a great way to start. I, I like looking at um, – I, I think you're right on with your health healthcare thesis, looking at uh, the trends. Uh, absolutely. So these guys have a lot of the wind at their back. Now, healthcare stuff has been sold off as well. People are kind of nervous about uh, Medicare and, and the funding side of it, which, again, it goes to the management team. Where are they going to be able to navigate this? And H- I'm sorry. We were looking at – I was just trying to pull up senior housing. Senior, senior SNH is the ticket. SNH, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just looking at SNH, they have not raised their dividend since 2012, which is something I just don't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I understand they look attractive because of their yield. Mm-hmm. Um, but from my standpoint, when buying a REIT, either want to see somebody that is raising it consistently on a yearly basis or somebody that's new who's likely to Correct, yeah. uh, where I'm confident enough that in a year or two once they get their feet under themselves they're going to start uh, they're going to start raising makes sense how about the PE ratio when it comes to REITs is that at all relevant P is not so yeah PE will scare the PE will scare the crap out of you because you'll look at the PE and you'll say like oh my god this is a PE of 200 yeah. um, so the way that REITs uh, work it's kind of like uh, I guess like President Trump's tax returns real estate lets you show Little to no income. So even though REITs are, are mandated that they have to pay out most of their net income uh, to shareholders, they can depress that net income number because they've always got something they can depreciate, something they can run against it. Um, so the real measure um, is going to be 
for most REITs, what's called funds from operations, FFO is going to be the, uh, the, the, the abbreviation for that. Um, certain REITs may have variations of that. So they may, uh, uh, one company may track a FFO, like an adjusted FFO, um, uh, funds available for distribution. FAD is another kind of spin on that. But the, the bottom line is that this is, the an analogy for from a stock, this is basically the free cash flow number. This is how much the company is generating in a quarter and in a year in actual cash and how much is available to be dished out to shareholders. So the price to FFO ratio is interesting because that is basically what you're paying for earnings. So if you're paying um, 10 times FFO for a REIT, that means in theory you should be getting paid back your initial money within 10 years. If you do less than that, that's that's great. You also need to figure out why you're only, you know, why you're getting that deal at eight or nine times FFO. Some of the more um, blue chip names could sell for 20 times FFO, where they're grow like the self storage guys. Mm-hmm. There are REITs that focus on data centers, so they build data center facilities. So those are pretty hot right now in a in kind of the, uh, another big mega trend type situation. So that's the that's the equivalent of the PE ratio. The the price to FFO is what you want to look at as your main metric. And then from there what the REIT is going to have is a payout ratio which is going to be what percentage of that FFO or of that cash are they giving out to you as a dividend. Um so that's another one where each um company kind of has their own payout ratio in terms of what's sustainable mm-hmm. for a read it's okay if they could pay up to 80 percent or even a little more in terms of a payout ratio in my experience i like to see lower lower is better it just means they're a little more conservative uh in terms of they get a little more buffer so if you find reads that are paying i i find the good ones like to pay in that 60 to 65 percent uh, range. So then you're backing out that and that's going to be your yield. So if you buy something at 10 times or so FFO mm-hmm. and it's paying out 60, 65%, then it might end up being like a 6% yield for you in cash. And then what you're looking at is what are they doing with the rest of that cash to be able to grow that dividend uh, in the future? This is all really smart, detailed stuff. And for really smart financial guys like yourself and institutional buyers, these are all things that you look at every single time you make a, a financial decision, an investment decision. For everybody else, like myself, that is not going to be able to do this every time we want to make an investment into the stock market, how would you recommend for a typical investor, just an individual uh, looking to put some money into REITs, how would you recommend them to get started and potentially diversify across many REITs or find just a few choice ones like you identify in your article and roll with those? Sure. Yeah. So the um, so there is a REIT ETF. There's pretty much only one. It's VNQ. Uh, so it's the Vanguard REIT uh, ETF. Um, I'm not as big a fan of of buying that just because I, I think kind of has it's the only one that people buy. So as a result, its holdings tend to be uh, a bit overvalued and it doesn't quite pay as much or grow as fast in terms of yield. Or actually, in terms of the dividend as something you could construct yourself. So right. if you're just saying, hey, I just want some REIT exposure, I want to pick up like five or ten REITs uh, in good in good sectors, and I don't want to have to think about it, um, and, and, but I want to time my buying so, so that I'm, I'm getting a good deal when I, when I buy these shares. Uh, a nice way to do it is just to pick out – you can pick out the blue chip. So for example, in self-storage, PSA is the, is the gold standard. PSA is almost never cheap. 
except like right now when all REITs are uh, under pressure. The way that you can see that PSA is cheap is that if you take a look at its yield and then you kind of map it against its current yield, uh, against its historic yield, it's it's higher now than it basically ever usually is. So it's, it's kind of like looking at a stock chart where in hindsight, you can see if something's low or something's high. You, of course, you, you, know, you would have bought low uh, and maybe sold high. With REITs, what I like to do is if you, can, if you can get a look at what that dividend yield has been over time, and then if you can buy it when it's kind of towards the high end of that range, then you're you're probably doing well. You'll you'll see over time these these the the yields they usually trade in like their own little range. Mm-hmm. So PSA will always uh, maybe yield as little as two and a half percent and might might go over three three and a half percent at certain times. If you can buy it more often than not when it's yielding three three and a half percent, you can do pretty well. So I, I like looking at those kind of things and and if you're just doing a real back of the envelope saying, hey, uh, this is paying more than it usually does. I'm going to buy it. Uh, that's and, and it's a good, solid REIT. Like Realty Income is another one. The ticker's O. They pay a monthly dividend. Uh, their dividend was at a, almost all-time low this summer. It's now off of that low. Better off buying it when it's off that low than not. So that's a nice way to do it if you're just – uh, you just want to get some reach in your portfolio, but you want to you want to time your purchases reasonably well. Mm-hmm. Just buy them when the, buy them when the yield's high compared to where where they normally are for the individual stocks. You mentioned that other one was it Realty Share Realty O? Yeah, Realty Income Realty is income. Uh, a monthly payer. Now here's the other trick with REITs is that Realty Income is kind of the the blue chip gold sand, standard of the space, so its yield is always uh, a little lower than what I call like its B-list colleague, where so realty income is paying 4.3%. One uh, alternative that we usually like to highlight, I did a column on this, is DDR. So realty income is paying about 4.3% today. DDR is paying 5%. DDR is in the same space as realty income. It's just realty income is the bigger name. Uh, so it just tends to be more expensive. So that you'll find that in a lot of these spaces that going back to PSA, PSA is the blue chip. You might find you'll, you'll find in that space that uh, some of the uh, smaller uh, names in self storage mm-hmm. are probably a better deal, and they might have better growth prospects too. So you can you can kind of find that as well. Like DD in DDR's case, um, they just had some execs do a lot of purchasing themselves for their own accounts. So obviously they're pretty bullish on it. So, so that's a nice way, way to look in the REIT space is that um, you find the, those A-list names and then just find their, their sort gotcha. of mid-cap counterpart and you'll find better value there. I liked what you said about Realty Income that they pay a, a monthly dividend because I didn't, I had no idea that that even existed. I thought it was always like quarterly. Oh yeah, uh, Realty Income will do it. Chatham Lodging does a CDLT, uh, so it's kind of a nice hat tip to uh, those of us who have to pay our bills monthly, which mm-hmm. is everyone. So uh, <laughs> I, I think it's just, it's just a nice symbol that they understand that uh, individual investors are important to them, and that uh, you know they're gonna they're gonna give you cash every month. Uh, to kind of coincide with your bills, so I, I, it's a nice uh, it's a nice gesture when you when you see it, and you do find some in the REIT space that do pay monthly. That's cool. So if you buy that through like E Trade or whatever your brokerage account is, you can count on money coming in each month in a form of distributions. 
Yep, exactly. So you get it every month instead of having to wait uh, every quarter. Sweet, man. So let's dive into the rest of your article. Again, guys, if you haven't read the article yet, check it out. We posted it in the Boss Lounge. We'll also leave it in the show notes. One of my favorite investing articles of the year. Uh, I think it's really easy to process and makes a lot of sense. And obviously the build up to this conversation with Brett. So there's a couple of recommendations and the title is three recession proof REITs to buy now. And I think we covered one of them, which was public storage. Yep. Yep. Public storage, uh, is, uh, this is, this is the best time to buy public storage, uh, in, in the last few years, at least thanks to this sell off. This thing is never cheap. It never pays this much. Um, a B list counterpart you can look at in the same space as national storage, NSA. Um, they pay a bit more. They got a 4.6% forward yield. And one thing I like about NSA is that they've got, um, focus in high growth storage markets. So a lot of the negativity around self-storage, the self-storage REITs is that they've saturated the markets because you do see a self-storage yeah. facility anywhere you go, right? So you're like, how, how, how much freaking stuff can people have? It's market, but it's like anything, it's market dependent. I'm not going to, uh, you know, you're not going to get a self-storage facility out in Sacramento. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to get one much outside of my driving mm-hmm. radius. So it's a local thing where you've got different supply and demand situations going mm-hmm. on there. National storage is doing a nice job of focusing in those markets where that supply and demand imbalance is a little uh, out of whack. So what they're doing is they're just going in, they're partnering with guys who are already running facilities and they're just kind of taking them under their corporate umbrella. So it's a pretty nice capital efficient structure that they've got going where they can just kind of cherry pick uh, these independent operators still running and be like, hey, uh, you're uh, you're going to do better with us coming mm-hmm. under our umbrella and we, we, we like what you're doing. Uh, we like your market uh, more importantly. You could almost argue that you mentioned them as recession proof. You could almost argue that they would potentially perform better in a recession because if people are downsizing, they got to throw, no one wants to just get rid of their stuff. So they, they downsize, they rent out an extra room and they throw a bunch of stuff in storage. Exactly. Yeah. So you can, exactly. You definitely make the argument that, uh, the recession, uh, um, uh, that the storage guys do well in a recession. And then there are some, we didn't get into it in the article, but there are some apartment REITs that, um, do, do better as well when people kind of downsize their homes and mm-hmm. then uh, just want to move into a, into an apartment. Cool. So the next one is NNN, National Retail Properties. Yeah, National Retail Properties is a um, – um, they've got uh, – like like it, like it sounds. So they've got just a bunch of retail uh, properties out there. Um, so they're, uh, they're a big guy. They are – paying more than they were this summer. So that's a good sign overall, but still kind of low in terms of where they were historically. So 4.1%. Usually I like to see a little more yield out of out of a pair like this. Sorry, I'm just pulling up their yeah. uh, dividend growth while I got them up here too. Uh, but they do a good job of boosting the payout. So you're getting 4% today. They do boost it every year, although over the last five years, just at 18%. So I'd like to see a little more growth than that. So to me, you know, realty income paying about the same, but doing a better job of dividend growth might be a little more compelling right now. DDR might be a little more compelling right now in terms of them paying more. So I think I might look at more of the class A type spaces. So th- this is a, kind of an example of one of those where um, it, it, here's a here's a REIT that's set up to do a great business model set up to do fine. The only problem is that a lot of people now know about them and yeah. the stock is a little more expensive than I would like to see. So we kind of look to the other names, uh, you know, what's a little more out of favor. So realty income may be a better play than the NNN right now. Should we ever look at like, I know I'm looking at these tickers now and there's 
always a row for institutionally owned. A lot of these are floating around like 80%. Is that an important variable when you're looking at REITs to own? I haven't really found that to, to, yeah. to matter too much. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. So then we go into number three, which is Sabra Healthcare. And I'm interested in why my senior <laughs> senior housing properties is not on here, except that we know that it seems to be underperforming, not growing its REIT. But tell us about Sabra Healthcare. Yeah, uh, Sabra, you know, same space. They're just doing a better job of uh, uh, just doing a better job. Yeah. Um, so and they are, um, you know, an attractive current yield at uh, seven plus percent today. Uh, the key here. I'm, and again, it's it's really not rocket science, but uh, they just have kind of been able to uh, move that dividend up. And that's the key. So they've mm-hmm. Just kind of kept ticking it up every year. Uh, hasn't been spectacular, but you know, 27% growth over the last five years. So, yeah. um, the, the thing to remember with REITs is that their share price is always going to move up, is typically going to move up in tandem with the dividend. Now, as we said earlier, the, the, the price can do ran- crazy things. It can go way up, way down. It can overshoot up, overshoot down. But over the long term, it's, it's going to go up with dividend with the with the payout growth. So you can think, okay, if I if I own this thing in 10 years, what what what's that going to mean for me? Well, you're pro- you got to think your yield is probably going to be about the same. It's going to be in that range and then the price will have gone up corresponding with the dividend growth. So if you're looking for upside, you're going to have to look for something that's able to increase its dividend at a, at a decent clip. Otherwise, you're just going to be kind of stuck with the, you know, with the current yield. So that's, that's something to look for. That's why, uh, your guys, uh, you know, having that flat dividend mm-hmm. over, over a bunch of years, you know, to me, that kind of signals that the stock itself is going to be dead money. So, which could be okay, but then you're just going to, you're capping yourself off at the yield. So if it's paying six, seven percent, that's the most that, uh, most that you're going to get. So is this just like, we just went over two healthcare REITs and they're both in the seven, eight percent yield range, which seems I mean, to me, that seems high. And then yeah. we went over a few other ones that were down in in other sectors that were down like three, four percent. Is that just coincidence or do healthcare REITs typically perform and, and yield high? No, actually healthcare REITs I think are one of the best buys today. Um and um a lot of them are at fire sale. Prices. So uh, uh, a favorite of mine is OHI, Omega Healthcare Industries. Uh, they are trading at eight and a half times FFO. Um, they raise their dividend every single quarter. They've done it for uh, like four years now or something. They've done a 16 straight quarter over quarter dividend increases. And um, the stock's paying, it's over 8%. So it really doesn't make it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, it's paying eight percent, so it's it's so generous it almost doesn't make sense, right. especially given that they're able to almost always raise their their dividend. Um, but again, the two worries you've got going: one of them are REITs in general, so that the the ten years climbing. Now, mm-hmm. in in this perspective, it sounds dumb that the ten years not going to come anywhere close to eight percent. So why would that be a threat? Exactly, and and yeah. as long as the funding, so so you don't really have a threat there. Other side is the funding, Medicare funding. But I think you find if you look at the history of these uh, medical care type REITs that Medicare is always a concern every few years. And if you just if you just 
figure that it's going to work itself out like it always mm-hmm. does and you buy these things when their yields are high, um, you end up in pretty good shape. So they do kind of swing back and forth. If I look at OHI's yield, I mean, it's it's yielding its highest levels since uh, 2011 right now. So probably, you know, in my opinion, a good time to to consider buying. But then it'll it, its yield will swing down as low as, um, you know, in that five, six percent range when when times are happy and everyone's. Yeah. Kind of uh, just focus more on the bullish fundamentals that you mentioned. So let's let's say like the Fed over the next couple of years raises interest rates fifty basis points. Is that really gonna? That's not gonna put any REITs out of business, right? It might put a small damper on their earnings, but it's not anything to really fundamentally be concerned about. Uh, yeah, I mean the best back test is going back if you if you if you can see what they did in that 04 to 06 period. And, and what I found just running some some numbers and back tests is that the REITs that were able to continue increasing their dividend not only did they do fine, but they outperformed the market and they also outperformed the REIT index. So anyone that was able to keep increasing their payout, it just didn't it just didn't matter. And that we're talking about a uh, that was a 4.25% increase. So that's not even the, the, the 50 basis point we're talking about. That's or, um, you know, almost order magnitude more. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's the key is, is our higher rates going to affect uh, them. So if the REIT was around then, that's a nice little test. So you can see how they did when rates yeah. were higher and lower. Some of the newer guys, then, you know, you might, you might want to be a little cautious with if they haven't been through a rate height cycle. But a lot of these names have been through rate heights cycles before. So you can right. just take a look and see how they did. Uh, same thing as your 08 back test. So instead of looking at 08, you just look at 04 to 06 and see how uh, these guys did then when the Fed funds rate was higher. And that 10 year was kind of between four and a half, five percent. You see how they did then. Yeah, it makes sense. And how about you, Brett? Do you invest in any REITs in your personal portfolio? Uh, I do. Yeah. Yep, I do. So uh, I've got um, and I try to keep it. Um, I try to keep them in my uh, um, IRA as well to uh, kind of do the tax advantage, but yeah, over the um, oh yeah, oh, they've outperformed um, re- just REITs in general. I mean, they've outperformed stocks as as an S. Uh, just broader stocks. Uh, I think it's over the last ten or twenty years. So you know, good, definitely a a good place to look. I think is an important part of your portfolio, and it's nice just because you you can figure out the returns pretty easily. You just look at the current yield and then mm-hmm. figure out the growth, the dividend growth, and then add them together. And there's your return a lot of, and it's pretty easy to come up with double digit growth for a lot of these guys, whether you're combining a three, four percent yield with double digit dividend growth, or mm-hmm. if you're taking some of these seven, eight percent guys. And if you're, as long as they can piece together some sort of nominal dividend growth, you're up, you're up to 10% returns right there. Any idea what percentage your portfolio is in REITs and or real estate? Pretty, uh, heavy on the, in the retirement. I, I've got a few retirement accounts that are probably like 30, 40%. Yeah. Cool. And that, and and just to clarify for everyone, we meant or Brett mentioned this earlier, but it makes more sense to do this in an IRA or a retirement account because you won't be charged the ordinary income. You won't be in the ordinary income tax bracket on the yield, so it makes a lot of sense. I actually just put a little bit in my van in my retirement through Vanguard's, even though it's only it's only yielding like I don't know three point three percent or something, but. Yep. Yep. That's right. Yeah. So I would fill up your, uh, uh, yeah, consider your, your IRA first and then, and then you can figure out if it makes sense to do them in your uh, individual account. And, and it may, it, it may, cause you'll get it in one way you might want to look at it is if you're in a taxable account, well, maybe 
instead of emphasizing yield, you look for growth. So you're looking mm-hmm. at um, you're, you're considering more dividend growth. You want you want that price upside um, that you're going to get with the yield growth. And then you say, OK, well, I'm going to pay a little more on these dividends, but I'm OK with that. It's better than the alternative when you're better than buying McDonald's mm-hmm. at 25 earnings, you know, right. in my opinion. So. Yeah, right. And have you taken a look at any of these? There's uh, we had uh Ben Miller is the CEO of Fundrise. They're basically organizing a an e-REIT, which is it's just a private REIT. So instead of being public, same type of thing, but you know, you don't get the the market volatility. Have you taken a look at any of these like private REIT offerings uh and or invested in any? I have not. No, I have I'm not taking a look at those. Um I, I, I know just from um reading where stuff is in the private market versus public. I I know in general there's some Price efficiencies right now mm-hmm. kind of backers from what, what you would expect where private deals are going more expensive than some of these public REITs are selling for. Mm-hmm. So the cap rates on uh, stuff that's moving privately is actually lower than the cap the cap rates. If you figure if you did like our price to FFO ratio, you're actually getting a better deal mm-hmm. just dumbly buying these public REITs because you get the the worries, the concerns on the public side. But no, I haven't looked at the um, private electronic uh, options that are out there. It's funny, man. I've caught myself three times during this episode in recording, writing down notes based on what you're saying. And I'm like, I keep forgetting that I can listen to this literally a thousand times over again. (laughs) That's right. That's beauty of the platform. But lots of lots of good value bombs. I think we'll this is about a wrap, Brett, man. First off, thanks for rescheduling and uh, and overcoming that little travel podcasting challenge. And is there anything else you want to leave us with, man? You have so much good material. I'll definitely encourage all of the the listeners to take a look to all of your your links and material. Was there anything specific you want to leave us with? Oh, sure. Yeah, we've got. Uh, I got a report that I wrote. You you guys are welcome to uh, take a look at. Uh, basically, it's got seven seven dividend growth stocks. So we've got a few REITs in there um, and a few uh, non-REITs as well. So if you're looking, uh, uh, basically for uh, emphasis is on the, the, as we were talking about the growth of the dividends. So companies that are kind of paying a, a decent yield today, but growing those things fast. Um, and they're all mid cap stocks. It's just as, kind of we talked about not only a sweet spot on REITs, but to find a sweet spot in the market in general. So uh, I'll get you the link to that. And, and that's something that uh, if uh, you're welcome to share. And then if your listeners want to download that report, uh, they're more than more than welcome to. So we got seven, seven dividend growth picks in there. Sweet. Brett, thanks a lot for coming on the show, man. We're looking forward to hearing more from you, read more of your articles, staying in touch with your content. And we appreciate uh, you sharing all of your knowledge and experience with us. Sounds good. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate you having me. All right, buddy. That was a super cool episode. Makes me really want to look at REITs and, and all these offerings. Uh, and actually, literally, as soon as I got done listening to this, I pulled up the article to comb through. Uh, what do you think, Sam? Oh, man, I love this guy. And I have to be honest. Everybody, not to say that anyone from the East Coast, I'm an East Coast guy. We've had some awesome guests from the East Coast. But we continue to have these awesome guys from the West Coast to it. I I really feel like this, like I'm drawn to the West Coast. Um, Brett's obviously a really cool guy and super smart Cornell grad. Man, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I feel sort of like an idiot for some of the investment decisions I've made over the last two years with regards to REITs because I'm going back and looking at some of the fundamentals. I'm like, that just doesn't make any any sense at all. But better late than never to get the the advice. So I'm actually curious because you invested in these REITs without really 
I mean, I don't want to say discussing it with me, but uh, was this before? Okay. I mean, how long ago? Like, was, was, yeah, <laughs> because we never really brought this, you know, brought this up uh, either on air or even just hanging out. Did you? How long ago did you buy these reads? Ooh, so after we sold the business, I was spending time in Asia. I did a big investment with Kevin Shea, who was on episode seven. Uh, and for those who have not listened to that episode, Kevin owns the biggest self storage company. In Hong Kong, um, some I think over they have over eighty different premises, and if anyone knows Hong Kong, Hong Kong's not that big, so that's it's quite a lot of property. So he's so like the invest- public storage of Hong Kong. Exactly, yeah. And in episode seven, which is really cool, he talks a lot about the things that that Brett was talking about, where uh, some of these REITs can grow through acquisition or build, and it that's the same narrative as Kevin was talking about, where he was mentioning public storage is continually trying to to buy out self-storage companies in and around and expand into Asia and other markets and stuff. So it's kind of cool to hear one of our early episodes from a different angle jive so much with you know what, what Brett was saying. And what I ended up doing was going down to Singapore. And I had never even heard, honestly, honestly, I had never even heard of what a REIT was until I read Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins, which is a book we, we always talk about. Heard about it in there. And then when I was doing this deal with Kevin, I heard him talk about these REITs that was down in Singapore. But as a U.S. citizen, I couldn't find a way to get access to these REITs unless I went to Singapore, opened up a brokerage account with them and bought the REITs through them. And when I looked at these REITs, they were yielding seven and a half, eight, nine 9%. I was like, there's no way. <laughs> you know, there's no way you could do this in the USA. I thought I had found some treasure that you could only get if you came to Singapore, did your own research, and was able to buy in. So I thought I had like hit this treasure chest, not knowing this anything gold else. Gold mine, reach yeah, gold exactly. mine in Singapore. Oh man, I'm fortunate because they've done decent. I haven't lost money on them, touch wood. But you know, it was just it was just a, a very uninformed investment decision because I, I invested quite a bit into it, thinking it was it was gold. And one thing that we've also learned through all this, you know, through this podcast is that. Like Brett says, REITs are not tax efficient for the individual, right? So if, if you make, say, $15,000 in income, you're paying ordinary income on that versus if you make $15,000 on your S&P 500 fund in, in terms of ordinary income in, in distributions, it's going to be taxed at a much lower rate, usually 15% for us. So um, let, let's explain so that I'm for everyone like who – Yeah, so wh- whoever kind of, kind of skimmed through that part of it uh, – Basically, when, when you when you make you know, I mean, I guess when you get your dividend payments through a REIT, it's just like earning a paycheck. So you you know mm-hmm. you might be taxed at thirty percent or whatever it is. Unlike a dividend gain, or even I guess what's even better about stocks is because they're not necessarily paying dividends. And you know, if the stock increases in value, you're not paying that capital that capital gain right. at all until you sell. And if you hold it for a year. All you're doing is paying capital gains tax, which is like a very low percentage. Right. Right. And one other thing with regards to these Singapore REITs, I still like these REITs. But one thing I found out this year when I filed my tax returns, and this is going to sound crazy to you, but if the share price appreciates on these REITs, whereas you just mentioned in, let's say if you buy, let's just say you buy Vanguard REIT fund, if the share price appreciates and goes up, you don't pay tax on that unless you sell. So if you hold it for 10 years and the, and the price doubles, you're not paying tax on that until you sell. With these foreign REITs, because I'm a U.S. citizen 
and there's all these funny rules about investing in foreign equities. If the price goes up, not only do I have to pay tax that year, whether I sell it or not, but it's not capital gains, it's ordinary income. So mm. if the price goes from 100 to 110, I am paying that, that appreciation in ordinary income. Uh, it's marked wow. the market. It's, it's horrible. So I'm getting whacked in taxes. And luckily, like I said, it, it performed well and it's, it sort of made sense, but I would never do it again, put it that way. Okay. But you know what? I, I guess we have to applaud you for, you know, being the lone cowboy, just, you know, sailing around the world looking for these new unique investment opportunities. And I think now that we have this podcast, it makes it so much easier to be able to talk to experts, you know, uh, interview mm -hmm. the, you know, the actual, like sometimes the actual CEOs of the companies and, and really pick their brains about what works, what are the upsides, what are the downsides. So this is you know, all part of the journey. And actually, you know, I'm reading all the reviews that people leave us. One of the most common themes is how people like the fact that we're not investment experts, that we're just normal guys trying to figure this stuff out. And that way we can break it down uh, and people can learn from our mistakes. Yeah, definitely. And we've certainly made a few. But like I said, that's a big part of the journey. I mean, I know just looking at my investment portfolio and the changes I've made this the last couple of months, I'm much more happy now because I, I've realized how many mistakes I've made. I mean, I didn't even realize until last month that the dividends that come through a lot of my stock funds were taxed at 15%. I always assumed they were taxed at, at ordinary income levels and were what, you know, 30 episodes into, <laughs> into this podcast. So, you know, I don't know. It's, I think it's okay to feel vulnerable and it's okay to, to not understand a lot of the technical lingo and I think that's what we're trying to do. I know for me personally I'm, we're trying to we're trying to break down a lot of this stuff and and like I said scratch our own itch in a way and continue to learn and, and make better decisions. Well, speaking of taxes, I would think in the next couple of months, probably in April after this year's kind of said and done, let's definitely do an episode on taxes and how uh, kind of tips and tricks we can we can do to to save on it because I'm taking a look right now and it, Ordinary tax income rate. So if you, you know, are making a hundred grand a year, you are taxed at 28% for, you know, for any kind of income. Uh, but mm -hmm. for the long-term capital gains, uh, which is, I, I believe, anything over a year that you hold, it's only 15%. But here's actually a loophole for people who are maybe starting out and maybe you don't have that much actual income coming in. You know, let's say you sold a business like Sam did and you don't have that much actual income and you're just living off of some, you know, dividends or, or payments that way. If you make less than $37,650 a year, you don't have to pay any capital gains tax. That's zero. Mm -hmm. So if your total dividends, uh, is less than 37,000, no tax at all. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And I guess it's just worth repeating and, and echoing that. As you just mentioned, the long-term capital gains rates 15%. But also, if you buy just about any stock fund, the income, not just the, the, the appreciation and the share price, but the income that it spits off, a lot of these funds that we're investing in, like the S&P 500 fund, will pay out like a 2.5% income. So if you have $10,000 in it, it's going to give you $250 a year in income anyways, regardless of the share price. That's all taxed at 15% for most people as well if you're a U.S. citizen. And so that there's, there's huge tax advantages there in investing in something like that versus in investing in, in something like a REIT where you get taxed at ordinary income, depending on your tax bracket, of course. Okay. So those are the downsides to REITs. Uh, what are some of the upsides after, you know, you know, talking to Brett and are you going to continue investing in REITs or what are your feelings now? 
So one change that I've made just in the last couple of weeks is I moved quite a bit of money in my IRA into a REIT fund, and I got rid of some of the REIT fund in uh, in my normal Vanguard portfolio. And then, but then I, I I'm really overloaded in REITs. If you look at my total investable assets, I have a lot of money in REITs. Um, and I'm going to see what happens this year on the tax side because I have a feeling I'm going to get totally hammered. But I, you know, I, I love REITs. I just love the aspect of investing in real estate, getting the paycheck without the headaches. Um, you know, there's there's different ones that I am particularly privy to. I really like Fundrise because I don't have to deal with the, the share volatility and and seeing the the red green red green you know every month uh, transition, but. I will probably try to downsize my foreign REIT holdings because I just don't think those make a lot of sense right now for me with the tax implications and the paperwork. Oh my gosh, dude, you can't believe the amount of paperwork that goes into this stuff. It's it's really ridiculous. Um, mentioned on the last episode, my tax return was like 152 pages this year. It's it's very laborsome. So yeah, I still like REITs. Probably downsize in a few of the uh, the different. Uh, specific ones and probably try to do a little bit more in line of of what uh brett's been recommending on this episode how about you i like it so i'm definitely not gonna buy you know what honestly originally i was thinking without doing any research i thought oh maybe i'll just buy some vanguard read fund you know in my personal account but after this episode realized probably not a good idea uh if for no other reason than the tax implications uh but also you know as he mentioned you know, uh, mainly in the article, but a little bit in the episode that the problem with buying the total REIT fund, uh, as Vanguard does, where, you know, it's almost kind of like the total stock fund, but mm-hmm. with the REITs is then you get the ones that are overpriced or not performing well, as well as good ones. So I think what I'm going to do is instead of buying REITs that, that, you know, in my normal Vanguard account, I'm only going to buy it through Fundrise. Um, so I actually just put in some more money into Fundrise. I, it's because I really like it. It's, it's, as you said, it's, it's nice to look at the dashboard. It's easy. The only issue I had was I actually wanted to put in, I think I wanted to put in like $7,000 more, but for whatever mm-hmm. reason, they only let me put in another, I think it was a, a thousand dollars that they capped it. I, I don't know if I was doing something wrong or they just don't let no. you. What, what's going no, on? You need to, tr- they, the, because of the way that they settle the money, uh, and they, they have a certain cap on the fund. So this is what I, I, I talked to him a little bit about this. It's kind of investment windows, right? Uh, but a lot of the funds, like their income fund, which one did you invest in? Income or growth? So this one I was, I was uh, in growth. Okay. So I think that fund is basically capped out. And same with the income fund. And if Fundrise is listening at all, please correct us if we're wrong. But I believe they're basically capped out. They can only take $50 million total uh, in investable invested funds. And so I think what happens is when, when people get out of that fund, you can, you can redeem your shares every quarter. I think it opens up a little bit, but it's not a lot of like, not a lot of room for people to invest. So I think they cap it per investor, like the 1000. So that was happening to me. And I checked back every day for a week. And then randomly like on Friday, it opened up and I could invest 25,000 or 50,000 or whatever. So you might want to just drop them an email and let them know that you want to invest more and to, you know, see if you, they can shoot you an email when it opens up to larger amounts. That's definitely a little bit annoying, um, but it also shows that this is a hot investment that people are excited about. Uh, I just logged into my dashboard now and it looks like 
both the growth REIT uh, and the income REIT are both sold out right now. Um, it looks like yeah. the three uh, location-based ones, the West Coast REIT, Heartland, and East Coast, they are, are open. They're, they're still open. Um, so I might look into that a little bit, but I, I was definitely excited about putting some more money into Fundrise. Yeah, and so anyone else that's listening, Fundrise is a good way to invest. Uh, unaccredited investors can invest $1,000. Uh, another good option that we like is Peer Street. It's not exactly investing in real estate, but it's a good way to get exposure to the asset class with really, I would say, very secured yields. Um, Johnny and I are both investing in there. And then also, we mentioned the Vanguard REIT. So if it's for reasons that Brett mentioned and Johnny mentioned, it's not perhaps the most ideal uh, investment, but it's a good way to get broad and diversified access to REITs. Um, and it's through Vanguard. So it's a little bit of reassurance in that. I own that in my RRA. It doesn't yield that much. It yields like 3.3%. But at least you know you're, you're very, very, very diversified across lots of different REITs. So if a couple of them have trouble, you're not even going to really feel it. Yep. Definitely makes sense. So if you guys want to know more about Fundrise, we interviewed the CEO, uh, Ben Miller, on episode 12. And actually, if you just want to know more about all the different real estate investment options, if you go to investlikeaboss.com and you kind of just hover over the invest dropdown, uh, you can see there are dropdowns for different categories. Right now, we have uh, the very top one is invest in real estate. And if you click on that, it shows you information about Every single episode we've done uh, with real estate and kind of the little bit of the pros and cons of each, as well as links to whatever you guys want to sign up with. Uh, if you guys do open an account with Fundrise or Pierce or any of these guys, please remember to use our links at investlikeabossdog.com because that's going to help support the show. But as always, you know, we're putting our own money in. So uh, these are things that we generally are, are excited about. Yeah. So, Johnny, was there any other takeaways that? kind of hit you in the in the belly for from this episode on the ways to invest in REITs or things that you might look for? Yeah. So I, I think one thing that was really exciting was the fact that you don't have to just invest in real estate as in houses or buildings. That when he mentioned you can, you know, invest in not only let's say like strip malls, but even pr- private prisons, that really kind of prisons. blew my mind. <laughs> Uh, thinking like what is possible. I would personally never invest in private prison because I, I think it's a terrible, it, I just don't believe in them f- for kind of right. humanity, but mm-hmm. I can see that, you know, there's a lot of money to be made in things like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, one other point that he made was buying REITs or actually two other points, buying REITs that have a track record of increasing their yield, which I thought was you know, prudent, but something I've never looked at before. But it makes sense that if they're increasing their yield and their share price typically tracks their yield growth, then that's a good way to buy a REIT that you're going to get capital appreciation and then thus capital gains. If like what you mentioned about my my SNH, my senior housing properties, that they don't they never increase their yield. So you're basically buying it solely for the yield. You can't really expect their share price to appreciate at all, which means I don't really potentially don't have hopes for capital gains on any of the, you know, on any of the income from this particular fund. So that's definitely one thing I'm going to be looking at in the future. And then also to buy yields or sorry, buy REITs when their yield is at the high end. And what that means is 
let's say a, a REIT's selling for $20 a share and it's yielding 7%. If that share price drops to say $17, then automatically that yield is going to go up, right? Because you're investing at $17 a share and it's, and it's maintaining their yield versus investing at $20 a share. So that, the actual example that I just, just gave was senior property, uh, senior housing property where when it was at 20, the yield was at about 7.8%. And now with the, the share price at 17 and a half, the yields almost close to 10. It's like nine and a half. So it was just saying buy, try to buy REITs when their yield is at the high end over the course of the last you know few years. And that's just a good way to get value out of your, your REIT investments. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I think it's it's pretty cool that the REIT companies, uh, they do this. So if, if you guys, if that kind of flew over your head, that means if you're used to getting, let's say, $100 per quarter uh, in dividends, they don't want you to start getting less just because their stock price is, is worth less now. So what they do is they kind of artificially bump up the the dividend yield uh so you still get that same hundred dollars so you don't you're not tempted to sell their stock Mm -hmm. but this is a great indicator of knowing when to buy more because if the if the yield let's say goes from seven percent to ten percent you could you know that the stock price is currently discounted so you know if you if you buy in then you're getting some value indeed my friend so brett if you're listening thanks for coming on the show man that was an awesome episode we got a lot of a lot of readjusting to do, but a lot of new information and knowledge to take with us in our reinvesting for the future. Very cool. So if you guys want to check out Brett's article, uh, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. This is episode 33. And I want to take this time to, you know, basically say thank you to everyone who's been leaving these great five star reviews of the podcast. You guys are the reason why we're able to get you know, these awesome people on the podcast and teach us cool stuff <laughs> and expand our knowledge. Uh, so thank you guys so much for taking the time to go to iTunes and leaving these reviews. So who do we have uh, who has left a review these these past couple of weeks, Sam? Okay, cool. I got one from Enrico, the United States. And guys, just so you know, we read each and every one of these reviews. This one's from Enrico, five-star review. Brilliant and inspiring. Johnny and Sam are able to teach you without even realizing it, sharing their experience and insights on how to best manage and invest your hard-earned cash. Honestly recommended, especially if you, like me, are in your early 20s and want to economically start off on the right foot. Cheers. Thanks, Enrico. I like it. And we have Jay Dak from Germany. Awesome, guys. And valuable insights. Five stars. What I love most about you guys is that you also come from a non-investing, trying to make sense of this complicated sounding investment jargon and give tips for the normal person about it. Makes you guys very genuine and easy to listen to. My favorite podcast at the moment on the way to work here in Singapore. So if you're in Singapore, probably don't buy those REITs. (laughs) (laughs) Take a look at them. Take a look at them. They're very compelling. And it sounds like he's from Germany. He might have a whole different set of investing rules that and and ability to access these those REITs. Uh, It's really just the headaches as an American to buy those REITs, the tax implications and the paperwork that make them unappealing. Uh, But if you're you're Local in Singapore, take a look at them. It's Maple Tree. Uh, they're massive, and you know, I think they're yielding like eight percent. But yeah, take a look. It's interesting. You get go see the, some of their properties. 
commercial properties in downtown Singapore. It's, it's pretty cool when you can actually go and look at the building that you're, in a way, investing in. I like it. So, Zupa Dankeschön to Jay Dak and to everyone who's been leaving these great <laughs> reviews. We'll see all of you guys next week. And Sam, hasta luego. Hasta luego, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.